This is LEC Online Church in Perry, Ohio. We exist to love God and love people. For more information about our church or ministry activities, please visit LakeErieChurch.com. Now here's today's message. In, uh, in week two, we talked about true repentance and how important it was for us to recognize that when we sin, that we are not just committing a violation of Scripture, but we in fact are actually committing an offense against God. That the only way to get to repentance is to recognize that our sin is not a mistake, it is an offense against God. And so I want to go back, I want to circle back, and if you have... If you want to hold your place in Jonah 4, go to Psalms 51. Psalms 51. I'll wait for you to get there because in Psalms 51, we read this incredible discourse that David has with God in the aftermath of his sin with Bathsheba and against Uriah. If you remember that story... He was attracted in lust toward another man's wife. He committed adultery. And then to cover it up, he eventually will kill her husband because she's pregnant and he needs a way to cover up. And God sends the prophet into his house and says, told him a story. And David wasn't smart enough to pick up on it. And he said, the man that commits such a thing shall surely die. And Nathan said, well, that's you. And in that moment, that stark reality hit David and he realized what he had done. And he wrote these words in Psalms 51, just the first four. And they'll have them on the screen for you if you don't have a Bible. He says, have mercy on me, O God. Because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sin. Wash me clean from my guilt, purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You have proved right in what you say. And your judgment against me is just. What David is saying is what we have to realize is that we, when we sin, we commit an offense against God. And it's the only way that we can truly be forgiven is to recognize that and to confess our sin. Now, the reason that I begin with that is because chapter 4 is about us recognizing and watching this issue, the issues that Jonah has with God. Jonah has issues with God. Have you ever had an issue with God? If you don't, if you say you don't, I, I don't believe you. And I know for some people that's foreign to think that you and I would fight with God. But there are some of you sitting here right now, you're fighting with God. 
You're fighting with God over your issues and your challenges. Well, there's something in chapter 4 that you will get out of this because sometimes our fight with God is about the circumstances that we find ourselves in and why we are forced to live through them. So like, why is it that I'm not already healed, God? Why? Why? I've already prayed. Someone said to me a few months ago when we were praying, I've prayed about this about 50 times. I said, well, let's pray 51. Why isn't God answering my prayer? Why isn't my husband or my wife saved? These are the issues that sometimes we have with God. And we can, we can recognize them because we see them in the story of Jonah. You see, God, Jonah has issues with God, and God has issues with Jonah. And we get to watch it in chapter 4. See, God wants to redeem a lost people. Jonah wants to retain his reputation and protect his national interest. And so he's got an issue. God wants a national and spiritual revival. Jonah wants the utter destruction of the Assyrians. God believes that all people everywhere can and should be saved. Jonah does not believe that the Assyrians deserve the mercy of God. So he's got issues. And you see him acting out those issues in chapter 4. So let's read this passage, if you have your Bibles, in in Jonah 4. And I've chosen to pick up the last verse in chapter 3. So it's Jonah 3.10 and then the first couple of verses in chapter 4. When God saw what they had done, talking about the Assyrians. Remember, the we talked about last week. They had repented and they had humbled themselves and God had recognized it. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways... He changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? This is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew. Everybody say, I knew. I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He knew all that. I knew you were eager to turn back from destroying people. Now notice this next verse. It's one of the most absurd verses in Scripture. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Before I read the last question God asked, I want you to think about what he just said. I would rather be dead than for you to do what you want to do. That's how stubborn Jonah is to see things happen the way that he wants them. God, just go ahead and kill me. It'd be better for me if they heard that I was dead than for me to have to go back home and explain to people what you did. And God said, Is it right for you to be angry about this? See, I wonder, and I thought about this a little bit. I wonder if 
I wonder if God knew that Jonah would react like this before he ever asked him to go to Nineveh. Did God know that Jonah was going to act out like this when he asked him to go to Nineveh? I'm suggesting that he did. And I'm suggesting it is entirely possible that God did this on purpose. Because God is always provoking us in the places where we are the most vulnerable. He is always getting at the issues of our heart, the places that we don't want to deal with. We say, God, I don't want to deal with my ex-husband. God said, you're going to deal with it. I don't want to deal with my family. God says, you're going to deal with it. I don't want to deal with my doubt. You're going to deal with it. I I know some of you here are in this same struggle. I don't want to deal with my fears and anxiety. God said, you're going to deal with it. Because God's going to provoke you in the places where you are always the most vulnerable. And we probably said this, but in our, in our home, Shelly and I have this mantra that what makes you vulnerable makes, uh, what makes you, uh, 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 what makes you good makes you vulnerable. Yes. What makes you good makes you vulnerable. In the places where you're good, you're also often very vulnerable there. And God is always provoking you in the places where you are the most vulnerable because God doesn't want to leave you like you are. He wants you growing. He wants you healing. He wants to get at those issues so that you can be set free from what you are. So I'm going to offer you three statements. They'll be quick. So don't get too settled in. We're going to go at them pretty quick. Here are three statements that I think uh, help me to recognize the issues that Jonah has with God. And they mirror very often the issues that you and I have with God. Here's the first one. Grace is not ours to appropriate. You know, there are some people... If I'm not careful, there are some people that I will judge so harshly that I really don't want them to go to heaven. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not proud to admit that, but there are some folks I just soon may not be there because of the issues that we've had in our life. You probably got some folks like that in your life. But grace is not ours to appropriate. We have talked in every week That one of Jonah's problems was his prejudice toward the Assyrians because he devalued them as a part of God's creation so much that he did not believe God could save them or should save them. And prejudice, as we said, is that, that attitude that we have that says somebody is of less value basically because of something over which they may not have any control at all. And it's not ours to appropriate the grace of God. We we do this often. We we devalue people because of their economic background. We devalue people because of the amount of or lack of education that they have. We devalue people sometimes because of the clothes they wear or the way they talk. We, we have an attitude at times that we, we put value or take value away based on a person's ethnicity or the color of their skin or where they grow up or who their mama was. And God says, I hate that. 
I hate that about the way you do because every person, listen to me, every person has an intrinsic value that is given to them by the creator God. Every person is important to God and every person has value in the eyes of God. And ours is not to appropriate the grace of God. And so when we take value away from other people, we're fighting against God. You hear what I'm saying? If we harbor prejudice in our heart, we are fighting against God. We're not fighting against our brother. We're fighting against God because God said, I made them and you're, you are, are devaluing them. And God says, your, your problem is with me, not them. So listen to me. When we treat others as less than they are, we're fighting against God. When we abort babies or support those that do abort babies because they are inconvenient, we are fighting against God. When we decide, as Jonah did, one group of people is more deserving of God's grace than another group of people, we are fighting against God's design. I'm just trying to tell our church, I want us to be lined up with God's blessings and God's favor. It's time to quit fighting against God. It's time to line ourselves up with a plan of God and say, God, move through us and help us to be the people of God. Ours is not to appropriate grace. Now, there's, at the end of the story, and I'll do this real quickly. At the end of the story, the Bible says that God uses this illustration. Jonah goes outside the city, and he's angry at God. And God causes a plant to rise up and offer him shade. And Jonah's very happy about that. And then God causes a worm to eat into that plant and cause it to wither away. And the sun beats down on him, and Jonah gets mad. And God says, I want to show you something. You were happy about a plant for which you did nothing and did not deserve. And you were angry when it was taken away. Nineveh was a city of 120,000 people who deserved mercy. Should I not also extend mercy to them the same way that I extended mercy to you? Here's the second, second statement. God moves as he wills, not as we hope that he will. You see, I, I think one of the problems that you and I have is that we want a God who is predictable. We want to be able to predict. And if God moves outside of our predictability with him, it causes us problems. We, we have a tendency at times to want God to fit in a box. We want God to be this much so that we know. And if he gets outside the banks, if he gets beyond the, the guardrails, it causes us problems. I just need to remind you that God is not yours to do with him as you want. All right, come on. I may need help getting out of the building here in a little bit. <laughs> See, I think we treat God like he's our super Walmart. Come on. Whatever I need God to do, he's supposed to do for me. And if God doesn't move like that, then we fuss about the fact that God isn't moving the way that we want him to move. God moves and does it as he wills to do it, not as we want him to do it. That means we have to sometimes put up with stuff that we don't want to put up with because God chooses to do it his way. Let me show this to you in a story very quickly. John chapter 5. If you have your Bible, you may want to flip over there or at least mark it. 
so you can go back and look at it. Jesus walks in to a place called Bethesda. It means five porches. There were five literal porches around this pool of water. It's important to read the narrative description because the Bible said that around this pool of water were many sick folk. Don't miss that because that's important to what I'm trying to say. Around this pool are many sick folk and Jesus finds a man who's been sitting by the pool. He has been sick for 38 years. Now, I don't have time to preach about this pool, but this is one of the weirder stories you'll read in the Bible. Because the Bible said that at certain seasons, an angel of the Lord would trouble the water. First person in the water gets healed. And though it's not said, it implies that everybody else just got wet. Can you imagine the, the, the chaos of this? Somebody's watching this water 24 hours a day and all of a sudden they go, Hey, water's moving. Everybody jumps up and runs and jumps in the water. One person got healed. Everybody else got wet. How many false alarms were there? And can you imagine doing that for 38 years? So you can understand the cynicism of the man who says to Jesus, he says, do you want to get well? And Jesus, Jesus asks him, do you want to get well? And the man says, well, I, I'd love to get well, but I don't have any inside track to it. Other people have folk helping them. I don't have anybody helping me. And Jesus says... Pick up your bed and walk. Mm -hmm. And a man who'd been lame for 38 years picks up his bed and walks out of that pool. But he was the only person that got healed that day. See, my logical mind, Dustin, says, why didn't God just go ahead and take care of everybody at the pool that day? Doesn't that seem fair? Doesn't that seem logical? That every person in this house ought to get healed at the same time? Doesn't it seem logical that the blessings of God should fall evenly across every person on the face of the earth? It may seem logical, but that's not the way God does it. He healed one man and walked out. It makes me understand that sometimes God's plans are as he chooses and not as I choose. Here's the last, last one. It is futile for you and me to fight against God. It's futile. God says to Jonah, go to Nineveh, announce my judgment to that city. And Jonah says, I'm not going to do it. And the Bible said, and we've talked about this, he goes down, buys a ticket, gets on a boat, going to Tarsus. Useless. A useless decision because you can't run from God. We talk about that. God, you can't go far enough. God saw you on the boat. He knew where you were. And, and eventually Jonah ends up in a fish. Useless to run away from God. Jonah said, I'm not going to tell the people about that. Useless. Because God's will is going to be accomplished. If you're going to serve God, if you're going to belong to God, at some point, you and I have to make peace with the sovereignty of God. That God's will is going to be done. And it may not be the way I want it. It may not be the way that you want it. It may, turn, may not turn out the way that you thought it should. But God's will is going to be accomplished. Yes. Make peace with that. 
Because it is futile for you and I to fight against God. So as I was wrapping this up, I thought, why do we fight against God? Why do you and I fight against God? And looking at Jonah, I see that we sometimes fight against God because we have pride. Because we, listen, we think that we are smarter than God. Now, we won't say that publicly, but in our hearts, we think we're smarter. You've had people prophesy over you. You've had godly counsel and all kinds of things telling you not to do something. And you go, no, no, I think I need to do this. See, because you think you're smarter than God. Pride causes us to fight against God. As we said earlier, prejudice will cause us to fight against God. Our personal agendas, what we want. What we want out of our life. And I thought about this as we were driving home last night. I think that one of the problems that we have is that God gave us a free will. God's not forcing us to love him. He wants us to love him because we want to love him. And so he gave us this ability to choose. And because we have the power to choose, we sometimes erect our own kingdoms, don't we? And we say, God, you're welcome to come and join us over here in the kingdom that I have built about myself. Or we say to God, please bless what I'm doing. Because this is what I want to do. You know, when I was younger, it used to annoy me to death for the senior saints in our church to say, son, have you prayed about this? I'd like, uh, I don't think I need to pray about it. I know what I need to do. See, that's a personal agenda. A personal agenda to do whatever it is I want to do. And, and I, as I've gotten older and as I've tried to study the Word of God, I'm convinced that this is one of the singular biggest problems that you and I have with God. Come on. We are so stubborn about our personal agenda that we will not let God lead us to the land that is the land of His blessing. So it goes something like this. We stand at the red light, and God says, go left. And we go, I don't want to go left. I want to go right. All the fertile land is on the right. All my friends are going right. I don't want to go left. If I go left, it, and God says, it won't work out well for you if you go left. He said, but God, I want to go left. God says, okay, go left. You're not going to like it. You're going to have a lot of pain, but I'll meet you at the next intersection. We show up at the next intersection, we're bleeding and bloodied and our lives have been torn up. And God says, okay, you ready to go right? And, we'll, and, and, and many times we'll say, no, I think I'm going to go left again. Because if I'd have done this differently or that differently, see, can we think we're smarter than God? Instead of saying, Lord, what do you want from me? What do you want from my life? You see, it's futile. For you and I to fight against God. You're not going to win. So stop fighting. Stop fighting. In fact, through the days that have led to this moment right here, I consistently said to God, God, help the people of Lake Erie to stop fighting with you. 
Stop fighting with God. Stop trying to do it your way or the way that you think it ought to be or the way that it's always been. Stop fighting. Jerome has this saying that he says every time we come in here for rehearsal for the choir and I hear him over and over and it just, it just galvanizes. He, he says, let's flow, let's flow, let's flow. See, that's what God wants. He wants people to say, listen, just get in the flow of God's spirit and let it happen and quit trying to make it happen. The old timers used to say all the time, God can do more in a moment than you could do in a lifetime. But you have to stop fighting with God. Notice what Jonah said, and I'm finishing with this. Get ready to play. Jonah said this. He said, God, I knew this is who you were. I knew this is what you were going to do. That's why I went and got on that boat and went to Tarshish. I knew you. I just, I just can't get off of that. I, I, I've just sat there for days and weeks now, waiting for this moment right here to say, we know him. Lake Erie Church, we know him. We know who he is. We've got nearly 60 years of history with God. We know him. We know what he does. We know what he will do. Why do we fight? See, perhaps for some of you sitting here this morning, you know the reason you're fighting? Because you love so much what you're doing with your life that you know, you know the moment that you turn your life over to God, all that other stuff is stopping. And so you just keep fighting it. Shelly and I were talking last night about someone that we love and we see him. He's just trying to drown himself in everything. The things he's buying, the things he's doing, the folks he's hanging around. He's just trying to drown out the voice of God. Because he knows the very moment that he turns his heart toward God, he knows where it's going to lead. He knows what's going. It's why when I went to Lee in 1975, I decided I, I, didn't, I didn't want to be a preacher. I didn't want to, tell, I didn't want to be a, a pastor. I didn't want to do any of that stuff. So I didn't take a single Bible course that first year. I was going to be a teacher because I wasn't going to be a preacher. But I knew if I ever really gave my heart to God, I'd be standing here this morning. Because we know him. God's always convicting. He's always convincing us that if we do it His way. Now see, you can do it one of two ways. You can do it the hard way or you can do it God's way. Why not do it God's way? Stop fighting God and surrender to the Lord. Every head bowed, every eye closed, please. Oh, how I love you. Oh, how we praise you. Oh, how we worship. Oh, Lord. Oh, how we love 
Father, in the name of Jesus, in every corner of this room, in every life and in every heart, I pray today that your word has penetrated our spirits. I ask you today, God, that in every life there is a fresh surrender to the will of God, to the plan of God. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you say, yep, there are some things in my life that have not been surrendered. I know you love the Lord. Jonah loved the Lord. Jonah loved the Lord, but he had some stuff that he could not shake. It, it was a constant issue for him. Maybe you're sitting here today and you say, you know, I recognize that. that that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm fighting against what God wants me to do. I'm fighting against the choices, the decisions that God wants for my life. Can I just encourage you to stop fighting today? Surrender your life freshly and say, God, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't know how I'll get that there, but I'm going to start today. I want to stop the fight. I want to walk in harmony and surrender and submission to your will and to your plans. Whatever that means. Whatever that involves for my marriage, for my career, for my children, for my whatever it may be, for my finances. I'm not going to fight you anymore. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to surrender. I'm going to do my best and I'm going to need your help. And I'm telling you right now, God is standing ready to help you. He wanted you to hear this message today. Because your issues with God have to be resolved if you're going to be what God wants you to be. If you're in this room today and you say, you know what, there's something I need to surrender to God today. Hold up your hand right where you are. Amen. God bless all of you. Just that, that moment of honesty. Say, you know what, there are some things. Yes, yes, God bless you. God bless you. I want to surrender this freshly to God today. I want to surrender this place of my heart. I want to make sure my heart is in the right condition. God bless you. God bless you. I don't want to fight with God anymore. I don't, I don't want to go any deeper with this. I want to find a place of resolution with God. Anybody else? God bless you. I don't want to do that anymore. Let's stand together, please, all over the room. Let's sing it. Let's sing it. Thank you for listening. Lake Erie Church is a multicultural Pentecostal church located in Perry, Ohio, about 30 minutes east of Cleveland. We would love to have you for a visit sometime. For more information or to connect with our team, please visit lakeeriechurch.com.